So I'm going to do a little sales pitch real quick, okay, just as an explanation for the way our church works, as I do sometimes, right? So you may notice that we do a longer, okay, so in church stuff, like in the life of churches and theory about how you do things or whatever, like the greeting time is disappearing. There are lots of churches that don't do a greeting time anymore, okay? And the reason they don't do a greeting time is because they typically go, oh, well, it's awkward, Right? People, it's awkward. Um, you know, if, if you're new, you don't know anybody, and it's awkward to talk to people and stuff like that. And so we're, they, they, they've stopped doing it, right? We have doubled down on, on the greeting time, right? So we basically said, you know what? We're not going to do the little 45-second obligatory thing where you just kind of stand up and go, hi, 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 and then sit down or whatever. Like, we are going and giving you four or five minutes to mingle and talk, okay? And we recognize that that can be... A little bit awkward, especially if you're new, right? Because sometimes, like, if you don't know anybody, then you sort of, like, you greet a couple people and you say hi or whatever, and then it's sort of like, oh, I don't really know anybody else and I feel a little awkward now. Um, but what we intend for it to be is a time that you can actually have at least a little bit of a substantive conversation with somebody, right? That if there is a new person, you can go up and meet that person and not just randomly kind of go, oh, how are you, and then sit down or whatever. You can ask them their name. You can ask who they know, how they got here, what they're doing, what they do for a living. I mean, you can get to actually meet a person, right, um, and, and find out a little bit about them. Also, it's a time for those who people who already know each other to have a little second to, to actually converse and have a conversation. Again, you may go, Ash, I don't know, I don't like it. Well, we... <laughs> We're all in, okay, so so we're, we're going to keep on doing it. So just in case you were to ever think that, you know, we, we get some flack from it from our friends in ministry sometimes, and they're like, why do y'all do that, man? It's just so awkward. And I'm like, I love awkward. The church is awkward. We're, we're doing it. So, okay. Anyway, um, let me um, read our scripture reading um, for today. And if you got your Bible, turn to Ephesians chapter 3. And we're going to be looking at verses 1 through 13. So Paul writing um, to the church um, in Ephesus, and honestly we think to churches around Ephesus. This is probably a circular letter. Um, but So he says this, For this reason I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ, of Jesus Christ on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I have written briefly. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit, This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God, who created all things, so that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. 
So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father. All right, so let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father God, as we come to your word, as we come um, to a section of scripture that maybe has a, a, a little bit of a um, confusing um, start to it and, and um, maybe in some ways it's a little bit uh, hard for us to, to um, wrap our minds around God, we ask that you would use this time to clarify that, God, that you would help us to um, understand your word rightly through the power of the Holy Spirit, that we would um, glean from it what you would have each of us to glean, and that, um, God, we would apply these things to our lives um, so that we could live in ways that honor you, um, God, and, and put your glory and your gospel on display before the world. God, we pray um, that you would use um, this time to draw us closer to your son, Jesus Christ, that you would use this time to make us understand the gospel more deeply and more truly, um, God, and that in all these things, um, God, we would bring glory to you and honor. We thank you. We praise you. We ask these things in the holy and precious name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Okay. Um, so, um, let's start by saying this, right? The gospel can have a great cost to it, all right? The gospel can be something that is very costly for us in our lives. But at the same time, and probably more so, the gospel is something that is also of great value, all right? It has a great cost sometimes, but it is even an even greater value. Sometimes in the church, we talk about sacrifice, right? We talk about the need for sacrifice, the importance of, of sacrifice, how the Christian life requires sacrifice. And so we, we encourage people to, you know, uh, not look to their own comfort and their own desires and their own needs, but to look to other people's, to sacrifice of their own lives um, for other people, sometimes even to the point of giving up our own lives, right? That, that, that we recognize that the gospel could demand that of us, that we would give up our own lives um, for someone else for the cause of the gospel. And so we talk about sacrifice a lot. But here's the thing. In the end, um, we actually sacrifice nothing, all right? And, and what I mean by that is this. In the end, if, if you're looking at like a, a ledger, you know, if you're looking at a, an account, in the end, everything to us is blessing. Everything to us is advantage. Everything to us is profit. Why? Because while the gospel might have a great cost, it has an even greater value. We actually sacrifice nothing because what is given is so much more than what we have given. All right. And so I think that's kind of what Paul is getting at in this passage, although it's kind of in an indirect way. Right. He's 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 not just sort of laying that point out there, but an, a, an opportunity pops up for him to talk about these things. And he does. And there's a few things that we need to notice to help us understand exactly where this passage is going. OK, so again, look there in verse one and you'll notice something kind of interesting. And I think the first thing that we should understand about this passage is pretty much the whole thing is a rabbit trail, okay? Uh, the whole thing is a tangent. 
Um, I don't think this is what Paul intended to talk about uh, when, when he started talking, right? And obviously we believe that the Holy Spirit inspired these words. And so even though Paul might not have meant for it to be said, the Holy Spirit meant for it to be said. But you notice something about the passage, and, and probably most of our translations have it like this. It says in verse 1, For this reason I, Paul, a prisoner of, Jesus, of Christ Jesus, on behalf of you Gentiles, dash. Okay, there's a dash there. Uh, anybody, is, anybody's translation have the dash there? Okay, a couple of you, right, at least. Okay, so this is what that dash means. That dash means what we think is going on here is that there is an interruption in thought. Okay? Um, that, that dash has been put there to say, wait a minute, Paul is making a hard stop to go in a completely different direction at this point, all right? And so um, he's actually not going to come back to that thought, as far as we can tell, until verse 14. And you'll notice that verse 1 and verse 14 begin the same way. In both cases, it says, for this reason, I do this thing, okay? And so then you go, okay, so, so why did he give this pretty significant chunk of scripture there in the middle. Why did he say all these things, right? It seems to be the case that what Paul wants to say to the people is, this is how I have been praying to God about you. That's what he intends to do. But then as he begins to speak, he stops and goes off on this tangent. And I think the reason he does that is because of that line in verse 1 where he says, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles. Okay? So I think what happens is this. Paul writes that line, and immediately he goes, you know what? I think I need to explain that. I think I need to explain what I mean by saying a prisoner of Jesus Christ on behalf of you Gentiles. All right? Because I, what, what we think is the case here, as best we can understand the timeline of the Bible, is this. So when we read the book of Acts... Uh, we see sort of the life of Paul, right? We see his ministry track, and we see his first missionary journey, his second missionary journey. And as we come to the end of the book of Acts, we see Paul. Um, I don't know if you remember the whole story. He, he appeals to Felix in Jerusalem, right? And he basically says, I want to go before the highest courts in the Roman Empire to hear my case. And so they say, fair enough, we're going to take you there. So they put him on a boat, and he goes across the Mediterranean, and he's shipwrecked, and there's all these things that happen, right? But he is heading for Rome. Okay? When he gets to Rome, he is basically put under something like house arrest. Okay? So he has his own home, he rents it, he pays for it, but he's sort of like put there and, and, and the government kind of says, we're going to get to your case eventually. Hang out here until you do. Right? And so that ends up being like a two-year process. And from what we know of the Roman Empire, probably what they were hoping is that Paul would get tired of doing that and bribe the Roman officials to get out of the charge, and then everybody would go about their business. But Paul was there on a mission, right? Paul wanted to stand before the highest leaders in the Roman Empire and declare the gospel. And so he wasn't going anywhere. He was fine waiting two years. And in that time, had a lot of awesome ministry that happened, right? People would come and visit, and he, he ministered and, and evangelized there in Rome, and different things happened, okay? But Paul is a prisoner here, right? He's under, he's, he's in a legal situation where he can't just go about his business. He is waiting, awaiting trial, right? And so Paul says, I'm a prisoner of Christ. And so you can think about that. He means it in a couple different ways, right? For one, he means not only has Christ captured me, right? I'm a prisoner of Christ, but also, um, my allegiance to Christ is now putting me in a situation where those who are opposed to Christ have put me in prison, right? Um, and at the same time, he's saying, and this is because of you Gentiles, okay? Um, 
I am in prison on your behalf. I'm in prison because of something about you, all right? And I think that's what instigates this whole rabbit trail, right? Because if you said that to somebody, right, if you're like, you know, hey, guys, listen, Pleasant Grove of College Street, I'm a prisoner, okay, for you guys, okay? As a pastor, I'm a prisoner in this life because of you guys. I would feel like I should say something then to explain what I meant by that. Right. And, and essentially, I think what Paul is doing is he's saying he's explaining what he doesn't mean is essentially what he's saying, because it doesn't sound good. I'm a prisoner on your behalf. And so Paul goes into this rabbit trail. OK. And I think we even get a clue as to what's going on is he basically wants the, gen, uh, the, 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 the people he's writing to there in Ephesus to understand this. He's not trying to lay a guilt trip on them. Like, that's not why he said, I'm a prisoner of Christ on your behalf. I'm not trying to make you guys feel bad or anything. Um, In fact, you look down in verse 13, and notice what he asks right before he gets back into his stream of thought. He says, so I ask that you not lose heart over what I am suffering for you, right? Like, I don't want you to feel bad about this. I don't want you to feel depressed or anxious or sad because of what I have just claimed about my life. It's actually for your glory, he says in verse 13. And so what we see is as we look at this passage, um, Paul has, has basically said, he's basically saying, what I have been given far outweighs any sacrifice that I have had to make, right? Um, I, at the end of the day, even here in prison, even here in house arrest, I have sacrificed nothing compared to the amazing blessing that God has given me. Okay, And we see at least three different things that Paul talks about that are all part of a kind of a larger whole. And that's kind of where we're going to dig in in, in, the, in the message today. Okay, And so Paul says, there's at least these three things, part of this larger aspect of blessing that I've been given. The first thing he notices, and he says that God has given him, is a stewardship. So look at verse 2. So he says, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you. All right, so again, he's saying, God has done this thing where he has given me something on your behalf, um, a stewardship that I am responsible, right? Paul has been entrusted with the greatest message that has ever been given, right? He has been entrusted with the message of the gospel. And more so, he has been made a steward, a caretaker, you could say, of the gospel among the Gentiles. And so, and, and Paul didn't just fall into that role, right? Like, again, if we go back to the book of Acts, we see this story, right? It wasn't just an accidental thing where it was like, oh, well, I was hanging out with Gentiles, so I decided to share the gospel with them. No. What happened was Paul, after Paul's conversion, God commissioned him to these things, right? God said, you are the person that I want to go to the Gentiles. It almost seems like, in a very, in a, in a large sense, like the other 12 disciples seem, at least, at least at first, to be focused on the Jews. And Paul is given responsibility over for functionally the rest of the world, right? I mean, like we talked about before, there's, there, in the Old Testament, there's two kinds of people. There's Jews and the Gentiles, the apostles are the apostles to the Jews, and Paul is the apostle to everybody else, okay? And so um, that's, Paul recognizes the weight and the honor and the hugeness of that, what God has put on him, right? Like this is not a small thing for God to say, I want you to go to the Gentiles and, and be their apostle. So throughout history, 
you have these various people who end up being given the name by the church, apostle to the whoever's. Right. And so, for example, um, there's a there's a saint named Boniface and he is he is called the apostle to um, the Germans. All right. St. Patrick. Right. That everybody knows. Right. He is the apostle to Ireland. Um, there's a guy named Columba who was the apostle to the Scots. And typically when we when we talk about somebody in that way, we're not using the technical biblical language of what an apostle is. We're kind of using it euphemistically or something. And we're saying this, we're saying there are certain people who have had such a big influence on bringing the gospel to a culture and to a nation and to a context that their, what they gave in that situation so outweighs everything, everything else that everybody else did that we are going to give them this kind of honorific title, apostle to the whoever, right? Paul is the apostle to the Gentiles, Right, the apostle to everybody in the world who is not a Jew. And Paul says, I have been given this thing by God's grace that is incredible. Right? Who can fathom being honored in such a way that you would be given that kind of mission? And so Paul says, man, don't feel sorry for me. Okay, God has bestowed on me the greatest honor that maybe anybody could have ever had. He has made me the steward of the message of the gospel to the world. All right? So don't feel sorry for me. God has made me his steward. Second, he says this. He says, not only has God done that, but he's also revealed a mystery to me. And so um, look at verse 3. He says, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I have briefly written, when you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. So, right? so again, Paul says, I've been given something else that nobody else had. Or at least previously, right? He says that the apostles and the prophets are all been shown this now. But I have been blessed and graced with this amazing thing. And that is, I've been given this mystery. The mystery of the gospel. Okay? And he's not just talking about the, the actual message of the gospel. He's talking about this aspect of the gospel that we've been getting into in chapters 2 and 3 of Ephesians. Right? Since the beginning of Genesis... The gospel has been hinted at, right? God's salvation and reclamation of the world has been hinted at. And then we see it play itself all out all through different ways throughout the Old Testament. But there's always a question. In the Old Testament, there's always this question. How is God going to accomplish these things, right? How is he going to bless all nations? How is he going to bring all people to himself? Like, how is he going to do this? What is going to be the answer to all these things? Now to the apostles, to Paul, after thousands of years, literally, of a mystery there, the mystery of the gospel has been revealed. Um, and again, Paul is blown away that he would get to do that. He is blown away by the grace that has been shown to him to live in a time where the mystery of the gospel has been entrusted to him. That all, you know, Abraham... Jeremiah, Samuel, Abraham, Moses, all of the people of the Old Testament would have loved, desired to know this mystery, right? Prayed about it and sought after it and wondered about it, right? And now Paul is saying, and then in my time, God has blessed us with this knowledge. He has revealed it to me, right? I know the mystery of this thing, okay? 
So I was thinking about the the the, the honor of it, right? So as as a pastor, I have a, I have a unique uh, privilege that I am oftentimes one of the first people to know about pregnancies or miscarriages. Um, people who are who are either pregnant or have had a miscarriage, oftentimes I'm one of the first people that knows about that, right? And that's because people want prayer. They want, to, they want me to know in terms of the church what's going on in their lives and these different things like that. And it's a humbling thing, right? It's one of the great honors, honestly, that I think there is in, in pastoral ministry, right? That you would entrust me with that, that knowledge, right? And, and I... And I, I I'm super faithful with it, okay? Like, usually what happens is even when other people begin to find out and they mention it, like, I pretend like I don't know, right, or something. Like, they'll go, oh, did you hear so-and-so's pregnant? And I'm like, no, I didn't know about that. You would have thought they would have told me, right? Because I don't tell Christy or whatever because I, there's, there's a weight to that, right? The idea that somebody would say, this is something that we're not telling anybody else, but we want you to know. Like, I think that's a big deal, right? And yet, that is a very localized kind of uh, trust, right? Paul is, has been entrusted with the mystery of the gospel that has been hidden for eons. That the Bible literally says that angels would love to look into these things, and yet they were a mystery to the angels too. And what is that in, incredible mystery that has been revealed? We see what it is in verse 6. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel, right? And so he's, he's talking about the mystery of the gospel, the way it saves us, but he's also pointing to the fact that what has been revealed is that the gospel is not just for the Jews, the gospel is for the Gentiles. Again, as Gentiles living in 2,000 years of church history, we go, yeah, Ash, I, yeah, that's, sure, right? That's, everybody knows that, right? The reason why you know that is because Paul knew it first. Uh, and Paul spread that mystery abroad, and it became the knowledge of the whole world, right? But Paul in his time is saying, nobody's known this, and everybody's wanted to know, and guess who God told? Me. He told me, he told the other apostles, he told the prophets who were there in the communities of the church, and so he is blown away by God's grace and blessing upon his life, that God would use him in such a way, right? That he would entrust him with the gospel, that he would entrust him with the mystery. And then third, he says in verse 7 that he's been entrusted with a ministry, okay? And so in verse 7 he says, of this gospel I was made a minister, According to the gift of God's grace, right? This is something that God has done out of the bounds of normal things. He has been good to me by giving me this ministry, which was given to me by working of his power. To me, though I am the very least of the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. Right. So again, Paul says, not only do I know this gospel, not only do I know the incredible, mysterious outworkings of the gospel for all of mankind, but I have been given the responsibility to be a minister of these things to the world. Right. We've talked about what that word minister means already. Right. It's the same word as deacon, which is the same word as servant. Right. And so Paul says, I have been put in a position of subservience on behalf of the gospel, and it is the greatest 
grace that I could have ever been shown. Right? He does not see that as a burden. Okay? He doesn't see that as something where you know, he's like, oh, well, God's forced me into this thing, and now I have to be a servant to all mankind you know, or whatever. I have to go around and get shipwrecked and beaten and kicked out of towns. Like all this hassle is mine because God has laid this ministry on me. That's not the way Paul sees it. Right? Paul says, I have been graced with this ministry. This is part of God's grace to me. And of all people, he says, the least of all the saints, which we read that and we go, come on, Paul, right? There's no way you actually believe that, but I think he does, right? He looks at his own life and goes, man, I was a persecutor of the church, right? I hated God and I hated Jesus and I hated his people and I was making sure that those people were were oppressed and put in, in the position that I thought they were worthy of. And then he says, and then God has still given me these things. He still graced me and made me his steward, bearer of his mysteries, and minister of the gospel. Three times in verse 2, 7, and 8, he says, this is God's grace to me, right? He's, in, he's amazed by um, what God has done. And so I think, again, what he's getting at in all this stuff is to say this simply. Don't feel sorry for me. Like when I said to you that I was a prisoner on your behalf, I wasn't complaining. Okay, I was just stating what the fact is, because even though I am a prisoner, even though you can read Acts and see all that I've been through, none of that is a sacrifice compared to what I have been given, the responsibility and the blessing that I have been given in Jesus Christ. Right. And so we talk about this passage ever so often. Right. But the the place from the Psalms that says for better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than to dwell in the tents of the wicked. Right. What does that mean? That means the, the psalmist is saying, I would rather have a menial job of difficulty in God's house than be welcomed into the pleasures and ease of the wicked, of, of not God's house. Okay, That is exactly what Paul is saying in this passage. He's saying, all the difficulties that I've gone through pale in comparison to what I have been given in Christ. You know, a couple weeks ago we talked about apostasy, right? We talked about these several places in, the, in, in church culture we've seen over the last few years where, uh, or the last few months really, where people have walked away from the faith, okay? And, and, I, and I think you read a passage like this, and it, it made me think this. Those people aren't wicked that walk away from the faith, even though they may be. But that's not their, that's, that's not their main problem. They're not wicked. They are fools, Right? They have thrown away the greatest graces and blessings that anybody could have ever had for baubles, right? for, the, for the, the trivialities of the world. Right? And so I, I think there's a piece of it where we look at those people oftentimes with a little bit of, of antagonism, like we're you know, sort of almost like they're our adversaries. They're not our adversaries. They are fools. They are people who have been misled and walked away from all of the blessing that they could have had. They essentially are are committing the sin of Esau, right? They have traded their birthright for a cup of beans. And so we shouldn't hate people. You know that anyway. We should pity those people um, and pray that God would wake them up, make them see the great thing that they have lost and return to it like the prodigal son. Do you feel the weight of that, right? Do you hear those three things about Paul's life and say, a stewardship, a bearer of the mystery, and a ministry, and do you go, man, those things are incredible? 
Or, or do you think about those things and go, man, those things sound like a lot of hassle to me, right? They sound like a lot of difficulty. I hope that you hear those things and go, those are the, those, those are the most important things that God could give us. And, and part of the reason why I want you to recognize that is because you're a part of it, okay? You have those three things as well, and we see that in verse 10. You notice what Paul says? He talks about the stewardship, he talks about the mysteries, he talks about the ministry, and then he says this, so that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. Okay? What does that mean? What that means is the church is where God is putting the glory of the gospel on display. Okay? The church is where we should see not only the truth of the gospel played out in terms of Jesus' saving message of, of faith and repentance, right? but what we should also see there is what we've been talking about the last few weeks. The church should be the place where um, everybody in the world comes together. Um, it should be the place where all nations meet, all races, black and white, poor and rich, Jew and Gentile, people from every walk of life should show up in the body of the church and the world should look in and go, why are all those people hanging out? White people don't hang out with black people. Poor people don't hang out with rich people. Jews don't hang out with Gentiles. Why are all those people in the same place, singing the same songs, praying the same prayers, um, working together, living together, um, serving together, why are they doing that? The answer is the gospel. We are supposed to be the demonstration of those things. And yet what we know to be true is that our churches are very seldomly like that, right? We very seldom have churches that represent the mystery that we're talking about of the gospel, Right? Most of the time, we have churches that are very segregated along any number of lines. Right? White, black, urban, rural, contemporary, traditional, blue-collar, white-collar, um, anything. Right? International um, uh, uh, citizen, I don't know what you would call it. Right? Um, churches, you know, we are the, probably the, 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 I've said this before, we're probably the second segregated most time of the week. The other one being your dinner table. The glory of the gospel is not seen in our congregations. All right? We are not doing that. And again, I get that there's all kinds of issues there, right? We live in a pretty white community, okay? And so we shouldn't expect the fact this shouldn't be a, a you know, there shouldn't be probably, it's unlikely that there are going to be 100 different nationalities represented in our 60 people, okay? That's probably not going to happen, right? But at the same time, we should see more of that, right? Um, we, see, we should see more of that diversity because that's where the church is supposed to be. And notice this. It's on display for not just the world. It's on display for the universe. That, in fact, he zooms in and says, you know who's seeing this and marveling at it is the principalities and the authorities in the heavenly places. Who is that? Well, it's at least probably the demonic, if not the angelic, too. Right? He's basically saying God is demonstrating the glory and beauty of his plan to all of the universe. And we are a part of that. Okay? Which means that every single one of us in here is a steward of the grace of God. 
every single one of us in here is a bearer of the mystery of the gospel, and every single one of us here has been given a ministry to minister to God's people in our community. And again, maybe to the extent that Paul had, maybe not. And yet we are a part of all these things. And so that means the church should be about that business. All right, and so it's I, I'm I'm hesitant to call anything a gospel issue, right? I'm hesitant to talk because we make everything a gospel issue now, right? We're like, I mean, you know, Whole Foods, it's a gospel issue, you know, or whatever. Like, um, what's the essence you put and diffuse into your room? That's a gospel. Everything's a gospel issue, right? I don't think any most things aren't gospel issues. There's lots of good things. I love Whole Foods. We should all eat more Whole Foods. It's not a gospel issue. It's just not, right? Does the gospel have implications for it? Sure, because the gospel has implications for everything. It's not a gospel issue. Here's, here's the thing, though. The reconciliation of the nations, right, of peoples, of people of all different kinds coming together under um, the banner of the church, I think is a gospel issue. It's an actual gospel issue. That's why in this passage when it talks about things and it says, the mystery of the gospel is that the message is for the Gentiles also, that they are welcomed in as well because of who Jesus Christ is and what he has done, right? It is a gospel issue. It's it's a gospel implication at the very least, and the church should be a part of that, right? And so then here's what I'll close with. Um, Paul says you shouldn't be scared about that. Right? That shouldn't make you nervous. Um, it is a blessing to you. It is something that God has intended. Um, is it going to be awkward? Probably just like the greeting time, right? Um, especially the, Our greeting time will only get more awkward if there are people in our congregation who don't speak English very well, right? It will only get more awkward, okay? But it's still right. It's still what is important. And Paul says this in verse 12. We have boldness in these things. Right, We have access with confidence through faith in these things to live out and be the, the example that God has called us to be. And so then what does he say again in verse 13? I ask you not to lose heart over what I'm suffering. Right? Don't feel bad for me in any way um, of the hard things I've gone through, of the difficulties that have been present in my life because of the ministry I have to you. Don't feel bad about those things in any way. And then notice how he closes it. It's not his glory. He says, these things are your glory. Again, tying it back in. We are connected to that. The suffering that Paul is going through is to our glory as much as the suffering that we would go through is to our glory and to his glory. Okay, Because we're all a part of these things. So don't lose heart. Continue to press into these things. Be gospel people and be people whose lives are living out the implications of the gospel. Notice the great weight that is on your life to be a bearer of the gospel in your workplaces and in your friend groups, right? And none of us do that as much as we should, right? None of us do it well, and yet that's what we're called to. Be a bearer of the mystery that God welcomes all kinds of people in, okay? Uh, and, that, and that he is, is wanting that diversity to be in, in our midst. I, I'll tell you this. This is just me. This is just personal. I'm just going to ramble for a second, okay? So I'm not, um, uh, I'm not a guy who typically is affirms things like affirmative action, right? Because I don't feel like in a merit-based workplace that anybody should get anything other than what they merited, okay? And I'm just going to be lay my cards out on the table, right? The person who's most fit for the job should be the one who gets it, okay? But guess what? 
I think the case is, is the church is the one place in the world that that is not true. Okay? The church is the place in the world where you go, diversity is paramount because it is a display of the gospel. Because you know what? This isn't a merit-based organization. Okay? We don't do anything based on merit in here. None of you are here because you're good at anything. Okay? Um, you are here by the grace of Jesus Christ and what he has done for you. Okay? And obviously you bring all your skills to this thing, and we are thankful for all those things. But this isn't a merit group. Okay, so if you're like, cool, I go to that church because I'm a really good person, you're not. Okay, and that's not why you're here. Okay, <laughs> Tim's like, um, sorry, that was a tangent. That, that, that was just running with it. Um, but that's what God's called us to, right? This should be a place um, that looks diverse. And whether that is, if we look around and we go, man, we just don't have access to racial diversity or national diversity, which could be the case in, in, in certain levels of our community. You know what? We should be diverse in terms of socioeconomic diversity, uh, education backgrounds, um, to people from different viewpoints. We should have people who have been in church their whole lives and people who are new to the faith. We should have people who are militant atheists, and we have, should have people who have been, you know, teaching Sunday school since they were 11. You know, we should have all those kind of people uh, because that's the kind of place this is. We look out at all those people and we say, nobody's here because... They did anything. They're only here because of what Jesus Christ has done in their life. Amen? Let's go to the Lord in prayer. And again, I would just ask that you would continue to have these things in your heart, that God, that you would pray, that God would send um, people into our midst, that he would make those divine appointments and have interactions with people so that we could um, meet and share um, and serve um, people who are different from us, um, whatever that looks like. All right? Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father God, when we get to the end of your word, when we are reading through the book of Revelation, um, God, we see a church that is gathered at, a, at the end of time that is made up of people from every tribe and tongue and nation. God, that you have brought people from every corner of your globe into your fellowship. God, that the message of the gospel has spread and, and touched. Um, God, every single place, every kind of person that is out there, Father, we pray that we would not be an affinity group church, that we would not be a niche church, that we would not be a church that ministers to just a certain kind of people in a certain kind of place. God, but that we would um, know and love and reach out to all those people that you uh, put in our path. God, that we would welcome them, that we would form relationships, that we would love and serve and grow together, and that we would welcome them into the life of faith. God, help us to do that. Help us to have eyes for that. Help us to focus on the realities that are around us when it comes to these things. Um, God, let us be a people who live our lives based on the great grace that you have shown us. And at all times, let us never look to our own difficulties, our own trials, our own hard times, and ask, is it worth it?
because, God, it is all worth it. You have blessed us beyond belief. Impress that upon our hearts. Show us the great value of your gospel in our lives. We love you. We praise you. We thank you for this time. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Please stand and sing our closing hymn with us. Mm -hmm.